1: Uh to our worshiping community. Uh, we miss you all here uh, as our church staff and leaders, uh, but we're grateful for the connections we're able to have with you, the ways you're worshiping with us. Uh, this has been a, a strange time obviously for so many of us in our house. Uh, we're figuring out the school thing for the first week this week. We know we've got teachers and administrators who are doing everything they can and we're grateful and you're figuring out a new norm as well. So to all the parents out there who've got uh, unicorn onesies on your kids at home, that's what our house looked like this week, or for the gripes about not being able to get burger like normal and that sort of thing, whatever it may be in your house, I uh, just want to let you know that uh, we care about you. God is present, and uh, we're in this series about nothing to fear, and we've been singing all about that this morning, and so I hope this will be a chance to calm and comfort you in the midst of what you're walking through, whatever craziness may be running around your house or whatever desires you may have that you can't Uh, connect in the ways you'd like to. We care about you. We want to reach out to you. And so far, we're grateful for the responses we've had of people who've been willing to help in so many different ways. We have a long list of you that have been willing to uh, deliver groceries, to do so many different things. And right now, we don't have much to offer to you because most of the calls we make, we're not getting requests. We're getting, how can I help? Which I just love the way that we're demonstrating selflessness, one of our values here at Greenville Oaks. And so thank you for the ways that you're uh, trying to be Jesus in the season. But if you do have a need, we want to make sure that we're taking care of those. So always feel free to reach out to uh, our church staff, to our elders. Um, you've been receiving news this week if you're one of our church family. And if not, we want to know how we can help you too. So if you do have a need right now, some kind of support that you need, whether it's grocery run, medication picked up, things that we can do and, and do the best we can to still maintain the regulations we're trying to do that the CDC and local officials are recommending, you can go to greenvilleoaks.org support. And if you go to that webpage, you can fill out a form and it would be a blessing to the people who want to serve to support you in the season in whatever ways they may need to. Uh, And we're thankful for all those that will be ready to respond to those needs. And uh, one of the things we said earlier, which is really important in the season, I'm grateful for the generosity of this church at all seasons. And uh, we'll have a benevolence offering coming up in uh, a few weeks, few months. We're trying to figure out what that schedule is. We've got some money left to try to respond to needs. So if you know of needs in your neighborhood or community, our benevolence team would love to respond to those needs. Reach out to me, to Galen Jones. You can find our uh, emails on the website. And we'd love to know what the needs are in your neighborhood. And if we can respond in some way through our benevolence, we'd love to do that. But in order to do all those things, your giving is really important. And so that tab up in the upper right-hand corner of your screen would be important for you to give if you're not able to right now. Uh, then we understand. We know that there are many that are dealing with financial anxieties. But if right now you know you have funds that you can give to support, make sure you look for the best way to do that. And one of the best ways to do that would be through your local church. Uh, You can set up online regular payments there, and so feel free to do that as well if you have an opportunity. Uh, That would be a great blessing to us. But we're grateful already for the ways you've responded, uh, and keep it up. It's a blessing. Last week, I shared the first message in our four-part series that I've titled, Nothing to Fear. And as I said before, I planned this series and heard from God back in February that this was the topic uh, on a prayer retreat that I would be preparing in this season. I'm grateful for God's provision in that. When I was trying to come up with a title for the series, I had no idea that we'd be dealing with this pandemic right now. I worried that this title might sound a little naive even before what we're dealing with. But little did I know what this would... Uh, do to make it feel maybe even more naive than that. Last Sunday, I I read a couple of Bible verses from the book of Hebrews, and today's message is titled, uh, 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 The Art of Dying Well. The Art of Dying Well. And I want to go back to a passage that I read last week from the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles or that YouTube app uh, right there, then connect with us if you would. Uh, It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This will be a theme verse for this series. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons the Hebrews writer says that Jesus came was to free us from our slavery to the fear of death. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, let me encourage you to go back and listen to that. It'll make more sense. There's a lot to develop there. You know, it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. (laughs) And death is one of those things that we will all face unless Christ chooses to return. Death is the great equalizer. And that causes no small amount of fear in our world. But Jesus came to free us from our fear of death. And I believe that Christians ought to be some of the best in the world at facing death. And in this sermon, what I want to do is share with you why that's the case. And encourage you to prepare yourself since none of us know what tomorrow holds. That we can be people who walk into whatever is ahead, fearlessly and courageously knowing God's by our side. Let's pray as we open God's Word together. Father, this morning I know that there are people right now that are on the brink of death's door. Because of this virus, because of other things that we're not even aware of. And right now I pray for family that wishes they could be by their side that are really struggling in this season. I pray you would hear the requests of your saints all across the world on behalf of the medical community, on behalf of those who are in vulnerable positions, on behalf of those that are near death's door, and families right now that are grieving who have already lost. My prayer right now is that you would comfort them. You tell us not to fear, but not because our fears are baseless. You tell us not to fear because you are going to be with us, that you will fight our battles with us, that you'll never leave us alone. And so we depend on that this morning, God. I pray right now you would protect, God, and you would bring whatever medical help can be brought, that you would do miracles that even the medical community cannot explain. And We want to give you the glory for all that you'll do in this season in miraculous ways and even the mundane ways that your body, uh, your church, goes through at work through the world through our service uh, that will bless lives as your hands and feet. This morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching and that your spirit would speak in ways that I can't. To the many who are spread out, who need to hear a message of hope this morning, a message that assures them of who God is, and that helps them realize that they have nothing to fear because of the God that, that, that walks with them. We are all your children, and we give you thanks. So God, form Jesus in our hearts this morning. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And all those spread across uh, Collin County and beyond who are listening said, Amen. This year on Sunday, January 26th, I was driving home after church when my watch buzzed me as I was driving in the car. And the notification when I got to a stoplight that I noticed said Kobe Bryant had died. I was shocked. Couldn't believe the news. Thought maybe there was a misreport or something. And so I get to my house, and sure enough, I pull up the television, and I end up watching all day the events that unfolded on television. It stopped me in my tracks, the news, and I wasn't the only one. Within a few hours, 200 people, many of whom were wearing Kobe jerseys, showed up to the hillside where his helicopter had crashed, not far from Pepperdine University, a place that I often go for lectures. And I've passed through that same canyon on that road. I knew exactly where it was. And it struck me, these people who were out there, just knowing that they needed to gather together. And then there were live shots of the Staples Center, the arena where Kobe had won five NBA championships for the Los Angeles Lakers. People were forming an impromptu memorial there. People were in shock. They didn't know what to do. But there was something in these crowds of people that led them to gather together to be in silence and to mourn the loss of Kobe. In the hours that followed, we would discover that it wasn't just Kobe. Nine people had died in that helicopter crash, including Kobe's 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. That evening at the Staples Center, The Grammy Awards were already scheduled to take place in that building as this crowd's gathering outside. Do you remember how the Grammys opened this year if you were watching? After Lizzo opened the Grammys with a couple of songs in a tribute to Kobe, Alicia Keys stepped to the stage and played chaplain and pastor to a country that was walking through shock and through mourning. Without any experience or or training in pastoral care, I got to hand it to Alicia. She did a tremendous job. And that got me to thinking about other moments like this. Some of you remember another death that occurred August 31st of 1997. It was the death of Princess Diana. Some of you remember exactly where you were when you heard the news. And do you remember what followed her death? Well, you remember the ways that people gathered and they grieved and they mourned? Right outside Buckingham Palace, there were flowers that began to emerge, and then more flowers, and then more flowers, and then eventually hundreds of yards of flowers and memorials that commemorated her life and mourned her death. In these moments, moments like Kobe's death and Princess Diana's death, if you pay attention, you realize that the loss and the grief that's being experienced isn't just the experience of mourning the one who's been lost, which is great grief that's being poured out. There's actually more grief that happens in those seasons. I think, in fact, the whole country, even the world can gather in moments like that. And in those moments, if you pay close attention, what you realize is it's not just about the person who's died. There's all kinds of ungrieved grief that has now permission to be expressed and let out as we mourn the death of these celebrities or world leaders. And in a moment like that, when you received a notification of Kobe's death, or maybe you remember receiving notification in some way of Princess Diana's death, or others like it, you felt something in that moment. You felt sadness, but you also felt, if you were probably honest with yourself, a greater sense of vulnerability yourself. This foreboding sense that what happened to them to snuff out life could happen to you, or to those that you love. And even with all the inventions that we have come up with to make our lives safer in that moment, What's revealed to us is our lack of safety, our lack of control. And as this coronavirus is hit closer to home, there's that same feeling, a feeling of vulnerability that we can normally keep at bay with our noise and with our busyness. But there are times, no no matter how much uh, we imagine or try to keep that out, that that fragility breaks through, and it shows how little control we really have. We're living in one of those moments, aren't we? In our world, it takes the death of celebrities and world leaders to give permission for all of us to express our grief, to see our vulnerability, to express our sadness and show tears that so many of us hold in because we're not quite sure how to grieve. This skill of grief, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The promise is for those who mourn, who let out our grief, that comfort comes to those of us. And that's a skill that's needed in our time as all around us we see accumulating grief, concern, fear, anxiety, and worry. Death is all around us. And our culture has been trying to ignore the possibility of death for so long that we're at a loss for what to do as we sit helplessly in our homes and watch those brave medical professionals doing everything they can to fight this disease and to find a cure. We live in a culture that does our best to deny the possibility of death. Over the past couple of generations, that's only increased. Some, something has happened to us from a, uh, to where death has been distanced from where we live. Death used to be more a part of our lives than it is now. And, and not just because we have a longer life expectancy and a lower infant mortality rate than we did 200 years ago. Death used to be a part of life because, like birth, it was something that we did in our homes. We had loved ones that passed away in our homes. And that'll happen occasionally, but for most part, it happens in nursing homes. It happens in hospitals. Over the past hundred years, the rise of modern medicine means that we don't die at home anymore. We don't tend to the bodies of our loved ones as this used to happen so often, nor experience extremely high maternal and infant mortality rates. So death has been moved from the home to the hospital. So the funeral industry has ensured we don't ever have to handle the body of our loved ones. We've handed death over to the professionals. Or think about the food industry for a moment, right? I mean, Many of them, they take care of death for us so that protein can be put on our table. And unless you're a hunter, you don't really see death happen in that way to provide for you and your family. The cosmetic industry gives us the illusion of youthfulness and an obsession with, with beauty and with anything that can protect us from the idea that we might one day die. We are obsessed with the myth that we'll be forever young. Now, this sermon is not an attempt to condemn those industries, but it is to show that there is a correlation between our distance from death and the shock we all felt when we got the notification of Kobe and Gianna's death and so many others. And that's why this COVID 19 virus we're experiencing comes to us as a shock, because sudden deaths affect us so greatly. And the reason is because we believe the lie that we are permanent. But the truth is, death is real. We will all face death one day, unless Jesus comes short of our death. We all like to believe that we'll live a long life. But I hope we are all aware today that death means that tomorrow is not promised to us. We are vulnerable. We are not in control. We will not live forever. At least on this earth. And that means we ought to all be in the process of preparing to die well. There is an art to dying well, and Christians ought to be the best people at that art. On Friday 13th of this year, Dominic Mazza passed away. Now, most of you don't know who Dominic Mazza is, Dom, who as he was known to his family and the close friends. But Dom was the father of Matt Mazza. Matt was the executive minister here at Greenville Oaks for for 10 years before he stepped away recently to take a role at Christian Care Center. Uh, Matt and Kristen and their family, Chandler and Blake, they're part of this church family still, still, which is a great blessing to us. But uh, I had the chance to listen in uh, as Matt spoke at his dad's funeral, gave the eulogy. And as I talked with him the night after his dad's death, and we were sorting through and just processing that as Matt was, I realized that some of the things he he was saying, and was planning to say at that funeral in the eulogy would be very helpful for this part in our series as we talk about the art of dying well because Matt tells the story so well about how Dom died well. And so right now I want to ask Matt if he would to come up here and join me on stage and uh, I want to ask him a few questions uh, in an interview time just to share a little bit of that story and how his dad died well and what that's taught you and what it can teach some of us in this season. So Matt, would you tell us just first off, tell us a little bit of the situation around your dad's
0: passing?
2: Absolutely. Um, my dad has dealt with a, a disease called diabetes for over thirty years. Um, it has taken its toll on his body, and especially over the last ten years, it began to uh, to truly break him down. He had uh, dozens of surgical procedures, varying from uh, heart issues and kidney issues, all the way to amputations of parts and body uh, because of uh, blood infections and and disease associated with diabetes. And it's been a hard road for him, especially the last um, year or so. We started seeing uh, a fairly steady decline in in dad. Um, But in my mind, I had always envisioned uh, him going into the hospital, hospital and having a, a prolonged hospital stint in which he was fighting some sort of illness or something. And we would have a chance to process through and come to the realization that, that he just wasn't going to pull through this time. But the reality of it is uh, it happened really quickly and really unexpectedly. It was uh, 48 hours and he was gone. He went into the hospital, um, just wasn't feeling well, was really weak. My mom uh, called, called 911, and they took him in on, on Wednesday, the 11th of March. And they eventually realized that he was septic, that there was some sort of, of a, um, infection in his body, that um, he was sepsis, and there was nothing they could do about it. It had simply gotten into his bloodstream. And, um, and 48 hours later, on Friday the 13th at 12.45 p.m., um, my dad was gone. So obviously grief comes in waves. There's that initial wave,
1: and then there's a lot to do to prepare for the funeral and all those things, and then it continues, right? Uh, We have church members that are dealing with grief years after the fact of losing loved ones. What is bringing you peace in this season in the midst of the wave of grief you're experiencing right now?
2: Uh, I've never felt anything like this before. Um, This is without a doubt the most significant loss in my life. Uh, And I am grieving today. I miss my dad a lot today. Um, But I am incredibly grateful for the fact that he is not hurting anymore. His body, which was so broken and so hurt, and he was full of so much constant pain and suffering, is no more. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that, that new body And I, my dad has a new body now, and I am grateful for that, Colin. I am so thankful. Um, He is receiving his reward. He is whole again. My dad was a larger-than-life man. He was an incredible athlete. He's in an athletic hall of fame up in New Jersey, where he was born. He was just—he was so big and so strong, and yet at the end, he was so weak and so fragile because this body of ours is just simply uh, not meant to be forever. Uh, And so I find complete peace and rest and assurance in the fact that he is whole again because of God.
1: So as we were talking, you were planning for this eulogy you were going to give. And as I was there, I was really touched by a story you told about the end and a particular phrase that stuck out that's changed you and will change the way you probably interact with your family in new ways. And so that phrase was, I love you. Which is something we say all the time, but that took on a new meaning in your dad's story and in
2: in the life of your family. Um, My dad didn't grow up saying "I love you" a lot. Um, He he uh, he was one of those guys that uh, he he would tell you he loved you, and he would do anything for you, and he would let you know if that ever changed. But otherwise, just know that he loved you, and that was sort of it. And so, I didn't grow up hearing those words a lot, and. And in a significant part of my life, I think I was chasing after that affirmation from him and, and wanting to hear those words. And at some point after a conversation he and I had a few years ago, that, that began changing. And and he started saying those words. And it became more part of a, a regular part of our vocabulary and our interaction within our family. And and he began closing every conversation, whether it was in person or on the phone or whatever, with I love you. And um, it was just, it was so meaningful within our family. And um I was able to be present when my dad was saying those final I love you's to so many people that were important to him. Um, his two living uh, brothers and sister um, called on the phone. They live in different parts of the country, but they called on the phone, and, and I held the phone up to my dad's ear. He was, he was pretty much out of it, um, but he was aware enough to, to know what's going on. I didn't open his eyes much or anything in those final hours, but um, I was able to hold the phone and listen to them tell him, that they loved him, and for him to uh, mumble the words as best he could, uh, I love you too. Um, And then for each of us, my sisters and their families, for my mom, for me, for my family, uh, to be able to have those moments to where he said, I love you. Um, He called me over to his bed and he was saying the word son. We couldn't understand it at the time, but we realized he was saying son. And and he told me that he loved me. Um, I'm grateful for that moment. My son Blake told me that he will never forget uh, dad dad saying "I love you." Um, those words take on an incredibly powerful. Uh, I, I I just I, I will never forget those three words, and I will say those words differently for the rest of my life because of this moment that I had a chance to experience with him. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing this story,
1: Matt. It's meaningful. One more question I have for you. As we're dealing with what we're dealing with, um, COVID-19, being in our own homes, uh, I wondered if there's a word that you have in the midst of, you know, this all happens while this is all breaking out, right, Um, around the world. Yet your attention's directed to different places. So what, from that experience, would you give as a word of encouragement to those who are stuck in houses that may be at each other's throats, yeah. that may be struggling with peace and loving each other? As yeah. you talked about, I love you. What word do you have to offer to the church community
2: yeah. and those that are listening, um, worshiping? So my, my dad was taken to Baylor, Dallas in downtown. And um, he was initially put in the emergency room, and they they put him up in ICU, and we came to realize that Baylor was actually uh quarantining off a hallway that, that an isolation hallway in anticipation of what was coming and we were literally fifty feet away from this hallway and I walked past it uh dozens of times over the two days that we were there because we were there pretty much around the clock and and saw people in full head to toe covering and everything and um and and i I shared with Colin that it, it was amazing how oblivious I really was to so much of what was going on. Um, my focus and my energy was on something else. It was on the final moments of my dad and my dad dying. Um, and I, I hate to say that I didn't care what was going on, but the reality of it was I didn't care what was going on with this COVID-19 thing because I had this tunnel vision kind of thing in which all I was focused on was just my dad. And, and I was in the moment with him and my family in a way that I don't know that I've ever been before without any outside influence. It just, nothing was distracting me. Nothing was bothering me. I was just there with him in the moment. I can recount every single minute Of the 48 hours I was there, literally, um, as I just sat by his bed and watched his chest as he took his breaths. And just every single moment is so crystal clear because nothing else was distracting me. And um, as I have come out of it over the last couple of weeks, and especially over the last week after his service, it it was... um, interesting for me to reflect upon that, and and I don't want to be oblivious. I want to be aware of what's going on. We're obviously dealing with an incredibly difficult and and challenging time for our country and our world with COVID-19, but there was something really special. There was a gift I think God gave us, and that was the ability to be in the moment and to focus on what is most important, and so Man, I would encourage all of us, amidst all the distraction and all the things that we can't control, because we can't control anything that's going on with all this right now, to be present with your family, to be in the moment with them, to see any opportunity um, that you are in as a blessing from God. Um, And and I'm going to continue to say this, encourage this in everyone, is to say those three words, I love you, every time you can. Um, I'm never going to get to hear those words from my dad again. Don't take the moment for granted. Be in the moment and say, I love you. Thanks, Matt. I want you to know we're uh, praying
1: for you and your family and uh, know that this grief journey will continue. But I'm grateful for the way that you've been able to provide a word to us today in the midst of us talking about death and how to die well. Your dad died well. He did. And so thank you for uh, this opportunity today. Thank you. Well, the reality for us is that not everyone gets a chance to say goodbye like Matt and his family got to say goodbye to their uh, their dad. Some deaths are more unexpected. Some deaths occur after long battles of dementia. We don't all get to say what we want to our loved ones at the end. And yet, throughout the centuries, there have been examples of Christians dying well. They somehow got this art of dying well better than others. One of the reasons Christians can die well is because we know what the future holds for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Earlier, Matt referenced the promise in 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul, will, or that Paul says you're going to get a new body, a, a spiritual body. All of the decay that happens to our bodies, there's a resurrected body that will be so much greater. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is trying to instill confidence in the Christians that he writes to about what comes after this life. I want you to listen to what he writes. This is, again, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do, not, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. with these words. That's what I want to do. I want to encourage you with these words. Paul tells us what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return to earth. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will be with the Lord forever. And those promises instilled confidence in the early believers about their future hope. Those promises and the promises Jesus gave his disciples gave the early Christians the confidence to die with no doubt about where they were headed after their death. And Jesus modeled this for us very well. We're coming up to uh, next week being uh, Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, which we'll get to celebrate as a church family in unique ways, obviously, in this season. But I I want us to think as Jesus is moving toward uh, Good Friday and toward the cross, think about what happened in the final hours of his life and how he died because Jesus died well. He got the heart well because of the confidence he had. Listen to several passages at the end of his life. The first of those comes from Matthew chapter 27. In verse 46, listen to these words of the final moments of his life. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross, and what does he cry out? He cries out this phrase from a Psalm of David. David felt forsaken by God, wrote this psalm, and in that moment when he's on his death, he's meditating on the words of Scripture that he has put to his heart in order to comfort himself in the season and to cry out as he actually felt to God. Jesus meditated on Scripture as he died. And then to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 34, the first part. Jesus said, this is again... Right there at the end. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. A remarkable thing. Here he is at the end of his life, and he's forgiving those who are mistreating him unnecessarily. He's an innocent man. But his cry to God is, God, I want you to forgive them in the midst of this. Jesus had developed a forgiving heart so much so that when he's on the cross unjustly, he's meditating on how he can forgive those who are doing him wrong. Jesus also died sharing the good news. Listen to this a little bit more down in that chapter. This is Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is on the cross dying himself, but what's he doing? He's presenting the gospel, the good news that this man will end up in paradise that day. Jesus died also caring for his family. Listen to this in in the gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It's a remarkable scene that here he is on the cross. He's not focused on his own pain. He's wondering about how his mother is going to be cared for. And he passes him off to this disciple who's been with him all along. Jesus cared for his family, just as we heard earlier with Dom in Jesus' final moments. And then finally, Luke 23, verse 46. Listen to this last uh, verse I want to read to you. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus' last words were this entrusting of his body and of his spirit to God. It was a confidence about where he was headed and that God would tend well to his body. Into his spirit in the midst of that moment, his last words. When you're prepared to die, it means that you can die well, but it also means this. When you have confidence about where you're headed, you can finally live an entirely new way as well. And there are plenty of examples of Christians who have died well. Recently, a friend of mine uh, told me the story of a preacher of a church in Southern California who received a diagnosis of cancer that was likely to take his life. And soon after the diagnosis, he got up in the pulpit and he shared the news with his church. And this is what he said. He said, I've spent the past 17 years as your preacher doing the best I can to teach you how to live well. And with this diagnosis, I'm going to teach you how to die well. That's the kind of confidence I want to have in my own life when I get to that moment. It's the confidence to show people this is how you die as a Christian. Last year, our church family had a front row seat to watch a 42-year-old man die well. Corey Harrell was a member of our church, and we think about his wife Jamie and daughter Paige as well. As they continue through that grief, he battled that pancreatic cancer for 14 months, and I was amazed by the way Corey carried his faith in the midst of that fight. He loved his wife and his daughter well, and he proclaimed his faith in God. But what I can say about Corey is, is one of the great tributes that can be said about a person in addition to all that. Corey died well, and that's an art. Because in our culture, we are taught to deny that death will ever happen to us, which makes it easy for us to be surprised by death. So how do you die well? I want to share a couple of ways you can do that. First, put your hope in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you've not given your life to Jesus, this is a great season for us to be reminded of how we're not in control and we never know what tomorrow holds. And so I want to encourage you, for those who have not yet put your faith in him, be baptized into his name. We'd love to receive you and find a way that we can do that, even in this season, if that's a desire you have. Second, you live every day with confidence about where you're headed. You're headed to heaven. God promises a new heavens and a new earth when Jesus returns. And so that's another way that we can live well in the midst of this. And finally, and when death comes, and I want to say this with as much compassion and and care as I can, because I know for some of us that day is approaching faster than for others. When death comes, you have a great opportunity to put on display your faith and to show people what a Christian dies like. You have an example even when you get that diagnosis. Even if some of us receive this diagnosis of COVID-19, and we're not sure what the days ahead hold. In that moment, we have an opportunity to show others what our faith really looks like. and That's one of the best ways that we can go. When you do that, you leave a legacy behind for others to follow. I don't know what you're walking through right now or what you're feeling. I don't know what news you may have received this week that may be filling you with anxiety and fear. And all of that can be terrifying and paralyzing. And if you'd like to pray with someone right now, you can certainly pray right now to God and He'll hear your prayer. But I also want to remind you, there's a, a button that says Request Prayer on the bottom of your screen. We have ministers that are right now moderating that and would love to pray with you. They'll get to you as they can, depending on the load of you that need that. But Click that button if you would. That's another great way to do that. Call others in the church and say you need prayers. Encourage others. Pray for them. That'd be great to, uh, for us to have some Zoom calls this week where it's just prayer sessions in our church. Praying for those who are most anxious and filled with fear. But moments like these, when we feel vulnerable, and we consider our fragility, there's an invitation that's hiding in all of this. The invitation is to lean into God who promises to be with us through it all. The invitation is to tell the truth to our fears because we know, as we learned last week, that fear is a liar. The invitation is to deal with the stuff that accumulates in our lives. And sometimes it takes moments like this for us to express, to feel vulnerable to grieve, to mourn, and God promises that he'll comfort. The invitation is to to deal with anything we're dealing with. And so I want to invite you to do that hard work in this season. Because when you do that work, you prepare yourself to die well. And when you're ready to die well, it's really then that you start living. And remember, for those of us who put our faith in Christ Jesus, death is not a period. It's a comma. If we believe that at our core, and we have nothing to fear. Let's pray as we close this lesson time. God, we thank you that you are with us, that we have nothing to fear, not because fears are not real, but because you are here and you fight those battles with us. So, God, I lift up this prayer to you that wherever people are, no matter what fears or anxieties may have, we call on you and we call on your Holy Spirit to give comfort where people cannot even bring their presence right now. I pray for answered prayers, and medical breakthroughs. I, I pray for miracles of stories that will give to get to give you the fame and the glory for all that you've done in this season. I pray for your church to be on the move and on mission because your mission is not canceled even when our campuses remain closed. So God, in the midst of this season, would you act and would you move? And when we see it, and when we honor you and give you the glory and celebrate the transformation that comes, so that we can be a people who live and have the art of dying pray this in the name of Jesus.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org